Welcome to I Wish They Knew, a show where leaders in business and education share big ideas that deserve more attention in about the time it takes to enjoy a cup of coffee. I'm Joe Hirsch. Today's wish comes from Ken Sterling. Ken is a seasoned attorney, tech entrepreneur, talent agent, and executive vice president at Big Speak Talent, where he helps artists, creators, and influencers get featured on stages and platforms all around the world. Ken also partners with Fortune 1000 clients for growth initiatives, and his thought leadership can be found all across the popular press, as well as in academic publications on topics like marketing, technology, communications, and ethics. Ken, welcome to the show. Joe, thanks for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. So tell me, what do you wish more people knew? I wish more people knew that living in an abundant mindset and approaching collaborations with that abundance, that one plus one equals 10. It doesn't equal two or something less than that. And that as they they live in that, as they practice that, as they lead in that, and they approach people and life and projects and teams with that, that it's good. It's a good feeling. It's doing well by doing good. So the opposite of abundance is scarcity. And I guess whenever we feel like there isn't enough time or there just aren't enough resources, we, we default to short-termism. We focus on what's right in front of us and not what's ahead of us. How can we help people get out of that mindset and think about the long-term consequences, not just the short-term fixes? That's a great question. If I had to really distill it, it goes back to the days that we were living in caves and this thing in our head called the amygdala and the, the fight or flight response. And you know, we all know about it, so I'm not going to unpack the whole thing. Scarcity or abundance to me is really tied to the amygdala. And okay, what's going on right now? Is there going to be food on the table today? Is there food on the table tomorrow? Is there enough food? Is there enough food for me, for my family? for my team, for our stakeholders. So when people have this cognitive disconnect of they're not being enough, the default typically is go to scarcity. To work on what that is, is I learned a great hack from Dr. JP Paulu Fry, and it's the, the stop, oxygenate, seek to understand. So if I'm feeling triggered, if I'm in that amygdala hijack, I just, okay, I'm, you know, like I rub my stomach because that's where I feel it. I'm feeling triggered right now. And then, okay, I just call that out to myself. Sometimes I say it out loud. Uh, and this is, this is work that I do with my direct reports too, that I can sense, you know, hey, I, I'm feeling like something's going on for you. They lean into it. We talk about it. So we stop, breathe, you know, oxygenate, and then seek to understand what's really going on or, you know, what's the, what's the story that we're making up in our head. And the story that I made up in my head for years, because I was a homeless kid from New York, was there's not going to be enough. And, uh, you know, of course, as I got more successful and bank balances grew and property grew and all that stuff, I still would go to sleep and then wake up at three in the morning and my mind would be spinning like, how is this all going to work? So I did a lot of work around that for myself. And then I reflect on that when I'm helping people get out of that kind of scarcity. You know, okay, so what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Are you going to have a roof over your head? Are you going to eat? Are you healthy? Are your family healthy? Like those are the important kind of putting things in perspective. Yeah. So create a space and then 
sort of fill that space with more intentionality, more perspective gathering. Yeah, and 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 ask yourself questions. And I did a lot of this work with a, an executive coach for years, and still do. Of you know, what's the story I tell myself when I start to feel scarcity and probing myself, or if I'm doing work with my coach, like okay, so then what happens? And then what if that? And as I start taking these eventualities and these what if scenarios, okay, wait we're going to be okay. And as soon as my amygdala is less, you know, activated and I'm just more relaxed because I stop oxygenated, seek to understand, then I can approach things with, okay, I know research shows all my life experience is that when I and people with me come from abundance and we collaborate well together, good outcomes are going to happen. Okay, let's talk team size. And I'm thinking of a couple of different research points here. One, the Ringelman effect, you know, when, you know, you and I are pulling on a rope and I've got five guys on my side and you have two on your side. So the five on my side probably aren't going to pull as hard as the two on your side. And that actually leads to that great disparity that the five lose to the two. And this other thing that really hit me with this idea of relational loss, that when teams are too big, we find it difficult to assign blame or credit and performance tips. What's your sense of team size? Are, are big teams collaboration killers or is that something I'm making up in my head? That's a great question. I'm going to give you, you know, we, we both do a little bit of advanced education. And one of the things we're taught to say is, hmm, it depends. And it does depend. It's unpacking both parts of that. If we talk about Ringelman first, yes, the, the idea of two people working really hard and five people and maybe some people not working as hard. The theory of that and the study of that makes sense. There's also plenty of times that those five people have overcome the two people. And there's plenty of times where out of those five people, maybe one couldn't do it because they had a, a Achilles tear or there, maybe there was something, maybe they were a really good contributor and they had so much capacity and that day, or that hour, or that minute, they just couldn't be there. And that's when sometimes having a more distributed team and having a diversity of tasks and people involved could be helpful. So I, I agree with Ringelman. And actually, when I was first working, I worked at a construction company and I started digging ditches and then moved my way up. And I remember talking to the owner of the company. And what I had kind of figured out is that if you put two guys on a ditch, they would dig that ditch in a day. And if you put three guys on a ditch, they would dig the same ditch in a day. And I was thinking about it from a cost perspective and efficiency perspective. So it's kind of Ringelman in the field, as it were. So yes, I think Ringelman is something to be aware of and be thoughtful about. And especially with all the KPIs and metrics and feedback tools now, I think, I shouldn't say, I think I know that there are ways that you could get results out of those five people, or if you got those five people and you did evenly distribute, if they're not working quite as hard, they could probably do the tug of war all day. Whereas the two people on the other side can probably only do it for half the amount of time or a third of the amount of time because they're exhausted and they might, they might be more prone to injury. They might be more prone to error. So I think there's two sides to that. Uh, you and I could probably do a study on that, like the, the redux of Ringelman. On the question of 
you know, when do you lose things or when do teams get too big? There's a lot of research on this. And then just in my years of doing it, good teams could be, could be a beneficial thing. And there could be a lot of benefits to that. When we really think about the efficacy of those teams or the connection and the engagement, a lot of that has to do with leadership, how they organize those teams. So if you have a very large team, you could break it up into segments. Uh, so let's, I'm just going to pull a number out here. Let's say you have a team of 100 people that are all roughly in the same role doing the same kinds of tasks. You can form what I call pods, and you could break it into pods of 10. And then maybe every three months, you could rotate those pods a little bit, cross-pollinate, get some different people, different energy together. So on its own, yes, big teams, you're going to be less connected. There's going to be less kind of feeling there. Segmenting those teams and working with them individually as a leader, if you meet with each of those teams on a regular basis and you're coaching them and you're helping them and you're figuring out the dynamics, it's really, it's a great social experiment and you'll get good results. So when it comes to creating abundance mentality within teams, what kind of teams should we look to actually compose? Are the best teams the ones that draw from different sources and backgrounds and experiences with all that, you know, cognitive diversity and other diversity? Or is it better to put teams together that are very alike, very similar to kind of gel more quickly and get things done faster? Great question. And there, I don't think it's a depends. And here's why. We know from a team perspective, from an innovative perspective, from getting ideas and brainstorming and having unique views of things, that the more diverse a team is, the better. And diversity is many, many things. And we know about all the socio-demographic things, uh, you know, kind of zooming out of that. If, if you think of a team and there's everybody's got abundance mindset, you know, it might be that, you know, they're giving away the farm. Uh, if everybody has scarcity mindset, maybe they're not being creative enough. Maybe they're not taking enough risks. So having a mix of that, and I'll never forget, I was in a sales meeting several years ago, and there were some newer folks on the sales team, uh, you know, that are from a, a generation that used to be misappropriately labeled as entitled. I, I'll say no more. Uh, and then there was a veteran salesperson in the meeting, and one of the, the newer sales team members was upset that they had to do a certain process or flow as part of their sales cycle. And this person spoke up and he said, you guys have no idea how, how easy you have it here. So, and it was great because I was thinking it, I didn't have to say it because somebody else did. So I think to your point, having some experience, having some less experience, having some familiar eyes, some new eyes, old energy, fresh energy, a little abundance, a little scarcity, a good balance feels appropriate. Okay, so broad and balanced, not narrow. I believe, yes, I would, I would stake everything on that, that any team has got to have a very diverse composition in all levels and spectrums. What about from the leadership level, how, how can leaders help create and cascade this kind of abundance mindset mentality throughout organizations? What are some practical ways that you've seen it happen, some ways that others might be able to do it as well? 
Another great question. This We see this all the time in organizations. And at the end of the day, it's the very simple, what they see us do, how they see us act, how we make decisions, how we explain. As a leader, we make a lot of decisions every day. And it's not going to always appeal to everybody on the team. It's going to work for some folks on the team. It's not going to work for others. When we make our decisions and we explain the why behind it, and okay, so I'm in California and we use abundance a lot. We kind of throw it around like tofu and yogurt. It, so I'm, I'm not going to just say like, hey, we're practicing abundance. Although I actually do say that with our team. I also talk about the why and we're going to approach it from this perspective and here's why. And generally what I explain is that we're going to do well by doing good. And doing good means that we're going to take care of people. We're not going to just go for the scraps. We're not just going to look out for ourselves. We're not going to look for a one party or even a two party outcome here. We're going to look where everybody's going to be okay. Like in an ideal situation, everybody wins. We all win the Super Bowl together. And if we don't win the Super Bowl together, we're all going to do okay. And we're not going to be in a zero sum game. Zero sum is very connected to, uh, you know, that, that scarcity mindset. So helping people. So how do leaders do this? You've got to walk the walk and, and talk the talk. You've got to eat your cooking. You've got to practice it. And that means in reviews, it means when things are uncertain, it means when the leader's not feeling good, or maybe your PL's off that quarter, that you're still approaching things with an open mind, that you're still practicing abundance, and that you're not holding on to the scraps. The author and thinker and leader is Ken Sterling. Ken, thank you for sharing your wish with us today. I am abundantly happy you did. Thank you so much, Joe. It's been wonderful. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate and review the show. It helps others find us. For more ideas on how to communicate with impact, visit my website, joehirsch.me. See you next time.